We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, the Wajak people of Perth region. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community and pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past and present. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side and the truth. Come on girls, let's go shopping. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. What are you looking at? Don't look at a boy jumping there. You're mad, you bastard. Far am you. Far am you. Swear to Christ, Liz, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Wook Wook. G'day. Welcome to The Last New Wave. I'm Andrew Pearce, and this is the podcast that looks at the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. On this episode, I'm joined by Michael Denniston from War Machine vs. War Horse, The Grand Gesture, and Projecting Film. Uh, that's a lot of podcasts right there. Uh, to discuss George Miller's great classic film, Babe, Pig in the City, or Babe 2, or, you know, the dark film about pigs in the city, the follow-up to the Best Picture-nominated Babe film. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, people out there when I started this podcast who said, oh, you know, you should do Mad Max, you should do Mad Max Fury Road. There's a whole bunch of, uh, you know, Mad Max films. There's four Mad Max films, all directed by George Miller, that I could cover. Um, So why Babe, Pig in the City as the first George Miller film that I'll be covering on this show? Well, you know, part of me was a bit like, you know, there's so much discussion already out there about George Miller's work on the Mad Max films. They are revolutionary for Australian cinema, um, you know, and specifically with the, the Australian New Wave period, they are a phenomenal piece of work. The first one is fantastic. Second one, great. The fourth one uh, won six Academy Awards and George Miller was nominated for Best Director. And, you know, there are many people who uh, think that he should have won, me in particular. I think that he should have won for his directing there. Margaret Sixel won for the uh, the editing on that film and she did a, a fantastic job there as well. It's a superb, stunning film that is full of some, some really great action work. Um, but that... You know, that's all really been discussed quite a lot. You know, everybody knows that Mad Max Fury Road is a modern classic. Everybody knows that it's a a masterpiece of of cinema. They already know that. And if they they don't feel that it is, then fine, you know. But it's already been discussed a lot. What hasn't been discussed is the other work that that George Miller did as a director. You know, he he isn't exactly the world's most prolific director. And and in some regards, he is a bit like uh, Stanley Kubrick in the way that... um, you know, he wanted to make a film about Babe. He was handed a book uh, on a plane once and he read it, uh, you know, and decided, hey, look, this story about a pig that, uh, you know, becomes a sheep herder, that could be something. But that was in the 80s that he read that book. And he had to essentially wait until technology was able to catch up and be able to make a talking pig film and not look hokey. So much in the way that Stanley Kubrick was waiting to make artificial intelligence uh, for when the, uh, you know, the, the special effects were ready. um, George Miller had to wait until the special effects were ready to tell his talking pig film. Now he didn't direct babe. That fell to director Chris Noonan, and of course, as I mentioned, that film was nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, uh, which is a pretty stunning thing that, you know, a film about a singing pig uh, that that hounds up, uh, that rounds up a sheep, essentially, got nominated for Best Picture. 
Now, of course, Babe didn't win, but ironically, in some regards, it, it went up against uh, another film, which, uh, you know, did win Best Picture and also won Best Director, which was Braveheart for Mel Gibson. Of course, the history with Mel Gibson and George Miller is uh, is there. We already know that, you know, Mad Max helped spawn Mel Gibson's career as, a, as an actor and subsequently as a director as well. Uh, Babe, the first film, was nominated against Apollo 13, Il Postino, The Postman, and Sense and Sensibility as well. So, you know, quite a varied array of, of films that year. But Babe, Pig in the City, didn't get a Best Picture nomination. The only Academy Award nomination it got was for Best Original Song. And I think that, you know, certainly... Uh, from the success, the runaway success of the first film, it was a huge box office hit. Um, people thought that maybe this follow-up uh, would be the same kind of kids' fare as the first one. And the budget was reported to be about $90 million. The box office was $69 million thereabouts uh, and was released around Thanksgiving period um, in America, and I'm not—I can't really remember exactly when it was released in Australia, but I think around that same period of time. And so, you know, for for cinema goers in America, going to see films for Thanksgiving and stuff like that is a huge tradition, and usually they're family films. So I can only imagine what it would have been like being a cinema goer in America in 1998 around Thanksgiving and saying. Let's go and see the sequel to Babe and then watching this film, which is, you know, admittedly quite dark. It's great, but it's quite dark. So about George Miller as a director, of course, you know, we know his history as a person, uh, you know, and I won't really go into too much uh, history of, of who he is, you know, because there are, again, coming back to Mad Max discussion, there is a lot of stuff out there about him as a director. We know that, you know, he is actually Dr. George Miller and the idea for Mad Max came from when he was uh, working in the emergency room and decided to uh, go and essentially make films about people having car crashes and stuff like that. And, you know, of course, Mad Max was spawned from there. And, you know, he's he's one of Australia's greatest directors, um, not to be confused with the other George Miller director uh who you know if you listen to the interview that i did with craig anderson on his film red christmas then you'll know that we talked a little bit about that george miller and that particular film there um very very different directors for sure but george miller is really interesting in the sense that his filmography again is quite sparse but it's it's quite varied so he did mad max mad max 2 and then he after doing mad max 2 he did Probably the best segment in the Twilight Zone film, which is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. John Lithgow's in that. It's a really terrifying little segment. A perfect translation of the Twilight Zone episode. It's fantastic. And then 1985 did Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, and then Witches of Eastwick in 1987. And then he returned, he produced a few other films, Dead Calm, Flirting, The M.I. Voice Broke. Uh, and then he returned in 1992 with Lorenzo's Oil, which is very, very different compared to uh, Witches of Eastwick and the Mad Max films as well. It's a lot more serious. It's a drama. It's more uh, heartbreaking in certain regards. Uh, you know, but it's not exactly what you'd expect from a director who has made a stamp on uh, doing action films 
And then, you know, his his next film in 1997 is 40,000 Years of Dreaming, and then he follows that up in 1998 with Babe, Pig in the City, and then Happy Feet, which he won an Oscar for, and Happy Feet 2. So, for some reason, you know, there's a branch into kids' films in some regards. Now, Happy Feet, in in many ways, is certainly a a darker film in in a lot of ways, and we do touch on, Mike and I touch on uh, what that film means in George Miller's... uh, you know, filmography um, in our discussion coming up in a moment. Uh, but, you know, it's a really interesting film and it's got great, great chemistry and great cast. And it's a really fascinating story as well that kind of hides this dark undercurrent in this kid's story. Babe Pig in the City does something very similar. Of course, the darker moments are really, really dark. They're out there. You know, we see a do- dog almost die, uh, you know, and, and it's really heartbreaking. It's really difficult to, to essentially process and see. Um, I just want to read something that Luke Buckmaster wrote in his uh, revisiting review of Babe Pig in the City back in 2016, February 2016. And he mentioned a couple of things, and especially a conversation they had with James Cromwell in 2013. So Luke says, When a conversation I had with James Cromwell in 2013 ventured into Pig in the City territory, as any decent film conversation, of course, does, the actor said its darker elements arose from an idea that you took the family to see the film first and left the kids at home for the second. That logic struck me as so strange, I had to clarify it with Miller himself. He said... There was some element of that, but it wasn't specifically about leaving the kids at home. That wasn't a driving logic, the director told me last year. He said, Pinocchio, another dark family film, was his favourite movie of all time, and that these stories are for the adult and the child, and the child and the adult. Which I find is really, really fascinating, because, you know, kids' films are really great films, and, you know, they, they can certainly evoke a whole bunch of emotions, and... You know, as we've kind of grown up, we have seen that kids' films have strayed away from these darker elements. Now, one of my favourite films of all time as well is Pinocchio. And, and what I recall about that film so much is, you know, the, the sequences in Pleasure Island, the sequences with Monstro. They're terrifying sequences, but you learn something from them. You know, I haven't touched a cigarette after watching Pinocchio. Now, though I touched it beforehand, you know, six years old when I watched that film, but you get my drift. And the same thing with Babe Pig in the City. It teaches you a lot about respecting and understanding who people are, and even though they may be different than you, you know, you, you have love and respect for them and you care about them. And that's what I got from Babe Pig in the City. Now, I was 14 when I watched this film, and uh, certainly, you know, it, it was uh, really, uh, really not. The, I was not the age that, that possibly this was aiming for. Um, you know, in Australia, it was rated G8+. Plus, so if you're eight years old, certainly it was a, a little bit more effective. Um, but it was certainly a very uh, powerful film in, in a lot of ways. One of the other things I find really interesting about George Miller as a director is that he was born in Queensland uh, to Greek immigrant parents. And they were both refugees from Anatolia and certainly uh, feeling quite displaced in a country that that is not their own and so he has that that unique perspective that that often i've talked about in the the films that you know we we discuss on this show where foreign directors come and tell an australian story uh you know they may be born outside of australia rolf to here for example or henry safran with storm boy 
they're directors who are external to Australia and yet come to Australia and tell a uniquely Australian story. Whereas George Miller was born to parents who were not from Australia and yet he is Australian himself because he was born here. And so he's kind of got that unique two-world perspective. He can see the world from a refugee's perspective and he can also see it from an Australian perspective, uh, somebody who's been who's born here and grown up here. So he understands what it means to be an outsider and yet to be part of society. And and I think that shines through quite a lot in Babe, Pig in the City in the sense that, you know, we, we see this poor little pig stuck in a world that is very foreign and very uh, unfamiliar to him and you know he kind of finds a place in this refuge in this in this hotel this rundown hotel with dogs cats chimpanzees mice uh, you know singing cats in particular you know so we get this idea of 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 who he is this foreigner stepping into a world that is this multicultural world and that comes back to what i how i feel about you know kids films trying and you know teaching kids about a society or teaching kids a lesson. And, you know, of course, the, that's kind of the, the normal thing to do with uh, Disney films in the sense that they always kind of be like, all right, kids, this is a lesson that you have to learn, take away from this. And, and they had that, that education moment. But I think that Babe, Pig in the City, for me at least, manages to seep that in a lot better than some of the Disney films do. And, you know, it's been a very long time since I'd rewatched Babe, Pig in the City, mostly because it is quite traumatic. It's a devastating film. And, you know, I won't lie, there were moments in this film where I was sitting on the edge of uh, the couch, bawling my eyes out. It's very traumatic, but it's something that sticks with you. And there is an energy and an emotion within this film that... I rarely see in Australian cinema that, that, you know, it's pushing boundaries in a lot of ways. And for me, when I started out doing this podcast, I was like, oh, you know, these are my definite top 10 Australian films, you know, Uh, Welcome to Whoop Whoop, Lantana, Animal Kingdom, you know, Break and Morant, Wake and Fright again, as I was saying, you know, it it gets brought up so often that uh, it's kind of uh, almost worth bringing up twice. But I genuinely forgot about Babe Pig in the City. And I'm glad that I was able to rediscover it in, in a lot of ways. And unfortunately, you know, the DVD, it needs a, a proper release. It needs to be uh, doled up and, and scrubbed up because the, the disc that's out there is fine. But, you know, I would love some uh, behind-the-scenes features or something like that because this really is, in my eyes, one of the great Australian films. And it's almost a bit of a, a lost treasure in, in some regards. It's a really powerful piece of work. And it's a testament to George Miller as a director who, you know, again, come back to his Mad Max films. They're fantastic. Mad Max Fury Road is a masterpiece of cinema. The first Mad Max film is, is powerful. And to think that, you know, that was a guy's first feature-length film is stunning. Like, it is a film that transformed uh, cinema in a, a lot of ways and certainly, uh, you know, spoke about Australian culture in, in a way that hadn't really been shown on screen before. But for him to come along and do a film like Babe, Pig in the City and Happy Feet as well, which is an Australian film too, is powerful, is impressive. And, you know, he is a talent that we are lucky to have had and lucky to be able to have the the films that he has done. And certainly, you know, I'm I'm glad that Mad Max Fury Road uh, exists. But part of me is kind of like... I would love to see what George Miller would do with a third Babe film now. I'd love to see where he takes uh, this poor little pig 
uh, now. It'll never happen, of course, because uh, people want um, Mad Max Fury Road more than they want a Babe sequel. But, hey, I can dream, can't I? Anyway, look, that's enough for solo me running off the cuff here. Uh, usually I, I do a little bit of a scripted thing, but this is more off the cuff and more, uh, you know, straight from the soul kind of aspect. Um, mostly because this discussion that I have with Mike, I, I really enjoy. Of course, you know, I love talking about films and I love talking about films with Mike. He's a great guy and, and I, I love this discussion. You know, we, we certainly touch on a lot of things about Babe Pig in the City, which I think is really amusing and, and interesting. Um, and as the kind of uh, token guy who I bring on to talk about films where animals are in difficult situations, uh, who else could I ask? So... With that in mind, let's have a listen to the trailer and I'll play just a short uh, one of my favourite clips from the film as well and then we'll leap into the discussion with Mike. This is the farm. Peaceful. Calm. Civilised. But now, the only chance to save the farm <laughs> is for one little pig. He can't leave. They're my lucky pig. <laughs> To go to the city. You can't leave. You can't leave. Anybody home? Anybody else? Nobody. Let me in. Let me in. He's entered a world of outcasts and misfits. Who are these losers? Well, hey, slow down. Get out of cat. Stay in chat. I'm hungry. Fleetly, come back. We don't know where it's been. Separated from his owner. I seem to have lost my human. Totally on his own. You're just a little pig in the big city. What can you possibly do? What can anyone do? Destiny has changed his mission. <laughs> and his courage is about to change everyone's lives. Whatever the pig says, goes. Sign by moi. Pack your bags. Time to go. We're going outside without a human. And hang on tight. Let go, Felix! And the duck. Witness to insanity. From the heart of the city comes the story of a pig with heart. I have a professional obligation to be malicious. Well, you should change jobs. That'll do, pig. That'll do. Babe, pig in the city. This place can really take it out of you. Tell me about it. Okay, welcome back, everybody, and I'm joined by a repeat guest, of course, uh, because 
my my shallow uh, pool of, of available guests is uh, well, as I just said, shallow. So, uh, returning guest Michael from uh, well everywhere basically. Um, welcome, thank you very much for joining me. And since you last on, you've gone and spawned a whole bunch of new shows. Do you want to tell everybody a little bit about those and what they are? Well, what what an introduction there. Uh, here's Michael <laughs> from the shallow pool of people that will talk to me. <laughs> it's great to be here. I'm glad I beat out the other two <laughs> to come back as repeat guests. Uh, yeah, uh, I've got a couple of things uh, that are out there for the world to see. I guess uh, not many people have a uh, soft launch um, projecting film. I, I did a show uh, called War Machine vs. Warhorse, which I, I still have not. Still have not ended because I'm lazy. Like I can't be bothered to produce episodes. So I haven't produced the proper ending. Uh, but if you like that show, it's fairly similar. Uh, it's a little bit shorter, a little bit easier to digest. It's 40 minutes long as opposed to like an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, mainly we, we highlight independent films and then try to pitch them to the audience with something more familiar uh, to them. So uh, we dropped the, the theme angle from War Machine vs. Warhorse. And uh, now it's just more of a game. I don't know what my co-host will pick as far as what type of film he was thinking about when we're we're watching these new uh, indie films for the first time. So it's fun to do. And uh, as I said, there's no there's no real need to have seen I think any of the films because we're we're projecting them out to the listeners to say this is the tone, this is the style. Um, and so yeah, that that one's fun to do. And then there's another one called. The Grand Gesture that I've launched with uh, my buddy Dave from Pop Culture Case Study and something we've kind of talked about for a couple of years. I think this was like January 2015. We started talking about doing this uh, rom-com podcast and uh, we're, we're looking at tropes from romantic films. So, you know, the meet cute, the breakup and then the grand romantic gesture. It's sort of a three act podcast where we, we look at those events in different films with a romantic subplot. So. Uh, you can find both those at followingfilms.com, and they're also both currently on Podbean, um, projectingfilm.podbean.com, and then the grandgesture.podbean.com. Yeah, I think that's enough for now, right? They, that's, that's good. good. That's great, yeah. Um, they're great shows as well, and you know, I'm not just saying that because you're here, but I, I do enjoy listening to them. Uh, they're very interesting and informative as well, and certainly you know, some of the films that you've covered on The Grand Gesture so far have been very... Um, not films that you would usually expect to be covered on a film uh, on a you know film review podcast essentially that is about romantic stuff uh, like you did the, I think your second episode was on mud uh, which I haven't seen so I haven't listened to it yet um, I really ought to get to it but uh, yeah everybody should go and listen to that particular show well and projecting film as well that's really good too I've already got a bunch of films yeah. that I need to watch on my list after that show. Yeah, which, which that is the point of projecting film because we, we're aware that we're picking stuff that is in very limited release, stuff we've been lucky enough to get like a screener for uh, in advance. Uh, but yeah, for The Grand Gesture, uh, we nothing against Nancy Myers movie because I, I find them to be pleasant. I enjoy uh, hanging out with uh, rich uh, white women in particular, um, but nice we didn't. <laughs> Great kitchens, great islands where they, they hang out and you know complain about their love life. But uh, yeah, we, we want to, to find films that have a particular romantic subplot that people wouldn't necessarily think off the top of their head, like, oh, that would fit that podcast. But there will be plenty of uh, romantic comedies to come. Uh, we you know, we just did Silver Linings Playbook, which I know was Oscar Beatty, but is a pretty standard rom-com. I mean, it, it kind of fits that structure more. So yeah, yeah it's it's good mix so far. Yeah, yeah. So... 
in that regard, um, The Last New Wave, which where we discuss Australian films and stuff like that, I have had you on in the past to discuss uh, all sorts of different Australian films that have included uh, animal deaths of, of different uh, arrays and things like that. Uh, of course, Wake and Fright has uh, that, that famed kangaroo shootout and stuff like that. So um, when I decided recently that I was going to be doing Babe, Pig in the City, um, I figured uh, I should probably send you a message to see if you were interested and you responded in capital letters saying, yes, that was all you said. You were very keen on, on, on coming to discuss Bay Pig in the City. So what is it about this film that has you excited? What, what makes you hit the caps lock button and be thrilled? Uh, well, I guess I should just uh, start on a somewhat sour note in saying that was uh, that was a mistake uh, for my <laughs> for my youth. Uh, I, 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 I was a big fan of this film, but I had not seen it since I probably was a teenager, probably shortly after its release. And I did watch it a few times just because, and a lot of it does hold up. You know, it's it's still very strange. It's an incredibly strange sequel to a very successful film. Uh, almost, almost a slap in the face to people that adored the first film, uh, the direction they they took with it. But uh, I don't know if I'm just like, I guess I am. I'm just incredibly soft now as an adult uh, compared to my teenagers because I, I remember it being weird, but I did not remember just how incredibly dark it was at times. And so upon, I was watching it late last night for this, uh, at least my time this morning recording. And I'm like, man, this is a dreary, dreary fucking way to end a long day <laughs> and like come into this. And it's like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big animal lover. I adore my dog. And uh, there there are some rough moments here in a G-rated movie. G-rated. And uh, so, yeah, I guess my bit on your show is animal cruelty. Um, I don't know why, because it really bothers me. There are films I just will avoid watching if there's something that happens to a dog. And I just, if I hear about it, I'm just like, oh, I'm not going to watch that just because I don't have the stomach for it. So I don't know why I put myself up to it. It's, it, it's, a, I mean, from a technical aspect, it still remains, to me, it's a fantastic film. I mean, I just, I, I, I love the choices they've made here, but it's a much rougher set than I remember. It's not nearly as fun uh, for my, my youth when I just thought this was just wild and crazy and a good time. Not so much anymore. Did you think it was possibly, because I, I loved it as a kid as well, well, a teenager growing up, I thought it was fantastic. And um, I think possibly some of it was because, you know, I was at the age where you watch kids' films and if they're really dark, you're kind of like, yeah, this is what I wanted as a kid and it's pushing yeah. all the boundaries and stuff like that. So I think I think for me as you know, a teenager, I was like, yeah, this is just, this is it. You know, I enjoyed that pig film, but, uh, you know, Babe, Pig in the City is even better. And, you know, as you're saying, it's crazy that, uh, you know, Babe had a sequel like this because Babe was nominated for Best Picture against, what, The English Patient, I think, um, which is just, you know, to think that a film about a pig who rounds up sheep was nominated for Best Picture is pretty nuts. Um, but it was, and then they went and delivered this sequel, um, which I think still stands up. And, you know, it's been a long, long time since I last saw it as well. And I think that this is probably one of the better Australian films that we've kind of ever made. Um, it's it's really challenging in some regards, but it's also very entertaining and very uh, very interesting in what George Miller does as a director here. Um, I don't know what your kind of history is with George Miller's film filmography is as well. Are you a fan of George Miller? Are you the the 
uh, sort of the the petrol head that everybody else is for Mad Max or no no absolutely not um, yeah I, I I thought I I quite liked uh, Fury Road until I I got on Twitter that year and I'm like oh not really I did not uh, you know <laughs> it did not uh, give me uh, any type of orgasmic feeling that most people uh, seem to have when they they spoke about this or tweeted about it they're they're they absolutely adored Fury Road. And I thought I thought it was a, just a really good summer action movie. I mean, it was you know sort of offbeat and it was fun to watch. But I have to admit, I watched it the one time. I was like, oh, that that was good. I enjoyed that. That was a good afternoon at the movies. And then never never felt the need to revisit it. So no, I'm I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I'm I'm trying to look over. You know, I missed uh, uh, what was this Happy Feet? Is this 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 penguin dancing thing? I I'm Would looking at his filmography. Yeah. Um, I quite definitely did film. not see Happy Feet too. Def- definitely not. And that that's strange to me that there's that Happy Feet was the follow up to Babe Pig in the City. Was that I mean was that by choice or was he was he in the uh, the slammer there the the filmmaking slammer for for his misdeeds with the sequel? Well, I think the thing is so with Babe he had or he read the book for Babe on a flight years and years years before and the late 70s or early 80s, I think, and had always wanted to tell that story and had waited until the technology was up to speed for it. So a bit like uh, George Lucas in some regards or Stanley Kubrick in some regards, he had to wait until technology was available to be able to tell what he wanted to do. And, of course, then technology really went even further and he was able to do Babe Pig in the City. And I think with Happy Feet, he had the idea that I want to be able to tell this story about dancing penguins. And, uh, you know, essentially in some regards, he had to wait until the technology was good enough. And that was, what, 2004, 2005, same year as uh, March of the Penguins. And, um, you know, I think everybody kind of had a hard-on for penguins that year because they both won Oscars. Um, and Well, any, any year, Andrew, of course. Uh, that's just the, <laughs> the natural state of being is to have a hard-on for penguins, of course. <laughs> well, I mean... In Happy Feet, uh, Robin Williams does voice a character who has uh, a six-pack, um, plastic six-pack holder wrapped around its neck, and uh, its name is Lovelace. So, you know, take that for what you will. But he is that kind mm. of subversive director that, that will put in these very adult things into a kid's film. And then, of course, he did Happy Feet too, and was waiting for the time to do the Justice League film, then did Mad Max Fury Road, which, again, he had to wait a lot of time to... No, for the drought to essentially um, come back in Australia, and that didn't happen, so we went over to Namibia to do that. But that's all kind of like circulating around the fact that Babe is a very technical film. You know, the main characters in this film are all animals, uh, and it's pretty nuts the fact that, you know, the lead character is a pig, side characters are dogs, monkeys, cats, um, you know, all sorts of different creatures, and... You know, when the film opens up, you expect that James Cromwell is once again going to be the lead character in this this story, but he's not. He's uh, sidelined pretty quickly because of uh, Babe's actions, gets himself injured uh, in some regard, which I think is a great moment as well, and how uh, the narration in that scene kind of tells Babe's feelings of feeling sorry that he just wanted to help out and instead ended up hurting his master, and then... Of course, they go off to the city to go and uh, do all these kinds of stuff, and it just—it's like a series of, of terrible events that just occur, and and it's all Babe's fault in some regards, but indirectly. And 
I don't know. Well, I, yeah, you're, you're skipping over uh, poor Mrs. Hoggett here getting probably a full-body cavity search <laughs> yeah, because Babe strikes up a conversation with a, uh, a drug dog. And, uh, yeah, I, the, the cruelty in this film from both, uh, you know, humans – uh, human on human cruelty, human on animal, and then animal on animal cruelty. It's just like, uh, it's just relentless. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, there there are moments of levity when, like, you know, we have this, you know, this this killer dog that uh, comes to, to Babe's aid after Babe saves his life. I mean, that's all it takes. <laughs> he gets friendship in return for saving him from uh, not existing anymore. cast out and have nowhere to go. Oh, but how? Please, please. I know you're different from the others. Those that have had their way with me make their empty promises, but they're all lies. Lies. I'm cold and I'm afraid and terribly, terribly tired. Where's your human? My humans belong to someone else now. Someone younger and prettier. I, I, I never ever had a human. I'm hungry. My human tied me in a bag and throwed me in the water. My tummy hurts. Try not to think about it. Take pity on us. We are the excluded and have nowhere to go. Well, it is nice and warm inside. Not a good idea. Oh, but they no, no, just no, no, Ness. Uh, could that be food? Oh, have mercy. No You'll bring all manner of trouble. Uh, perhaps if we all went inside and we all line up, I'm sure there'll be enough to go around. You're talking as if you're the word around here. I'd say he is. I'd like to offer up a solution that I feel confident you'll all respond to. Whatever the pig says, goes. Anyone hostile to the notion? No, 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 no problem. Anybody else? Fine by moi. Anybody else? Else. It's still just a pig. This recalls the glory days when I was dizzy with privilege. I had my hair styled and my nails manicured. Each freeloaders. Riff raff with no manners. They'll soil willy nilly, won't they, Alan? Willy nilly, Nigel. Hey, Swan. I want you to have this collar. Um, that's not necessary. Yes, it is. Uh, you're very kind, but. Oh, no, I'm anything but kind. In fact,. I have a professional obligation to be malicious. Then you should change jobs. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, no, it's in the bloodline, you see. We were once warriors. That is just the age. Oh. A murderous shadow lies hard across my soul. 
So, should I have let you drown? Most would have. Pig, if you were to wear my color, it would honor me. But, you know, for the, for the most part, it, uh, it, I don't know, even those good acts, like I'm thinking there's one, the one scene that really got, like last night I had to stop the film because I'm like, I just don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this anymore. Like it's late, you know, it's, it's, it's after midnight and I'm watching a, a dog that does not have the use of its uh, back legs uh, hanging on for, for dear life uh, to this truck that's taken away all of his friends and Babe imploring him. Uh, screaming at him to to just let go, and I'm like Jesus. What you know? If you were a kid watching this, I would just I just don't know. And if, more so, I guess if you were a parent, I'd be like, What the fuck is this? Like, why <laughs> <laughs> why is this being projected for for my kids? Why is this like a big Thanksgiving release in '98? And uh, yeah, it's just uh, it's just it's just tough, and it it's admirable to a point. I think that's something you said about being young and watching this. Is uh, there? There are a lot of things now that I just don't. It's not the patience, but it's just like I, I'm more at a distance from them now. As far as like, yeah, I can admire the craftsmanship, but I don't enjoy the the emotional pull that they have, uh, or I guess the attempts to to distance themselves from emotion. Like I'm thinking, like you know, the comic books, like most infamously from like the mid '80s, like Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns. I love that shit when I was like you know twelve, thirteen. Because I loved how dark it was, and they took something and subverted, you know, these these pop icons here. And now, if I read them, I've, I found them at times kind of dumb. Like really, you know, it's like, well, you're still talking about men in underwear, like <laughs> over their tights. I'm yeah. like, how serious do we need to make this? Uh, I don't think Babe ever falls that far, mainly because at the very least, our hero here is so good-hearted that you're, you, know, you do have a rooting interest in him overcoming, and you see that he can implement some change with these other animals that are, are just being reduced to mere survival. But, <laughs> you know, is that what I want from a G-rated family film? Probably not. <laughs> well, especially because the, the, the poster kind of suggests that uh, Babe and Ferdinand, is, his duck pal, are going to... It looks like it's going to be some kind of uh, Wizard of Oz remake in some regards with Babe... Uh, as the you know as Dorothy or something like that because the poster has this golden road going to this big city with light streaming out of it and stuff like that and you think wow this is going to be another fantastical journey and isn't it great that you know Babe's going to be able to be interacting with the city and then yeah sure enough you know terrible things immediately happen at the airport and and the opportunity to immediately get the money uh, to to help save the farm which again, it's kind of like a really strange prospect to, to begin the film because you'd think after, um, you know, the success that they have in the first film... Now, I didn't go back and rewatch the first film. I will do eventually, but we all know how that film ends. Uh, Babe herds, herds the pigs, uh, the sheep, and, you know, they win the, the prize or whatever it is at the end. But, it's a sports movie, basically. It's like, you know, there's a competition, and yeah. you see him overcome. The little underdog, you know, wins, and everybody, everybody loves him. Everybody adores him. At the yeah, end. exactly. And the, this film opens pretty much directly as soon as, you know, they're coming home, and then all of a sudden they've got no money, and they can't afford to keep the farm, and they're on their last check. And you kind of think, well, why don't you just use the money that you would have gotten from the end of last film? But, of course, you must have spent it on the way home on something. Um <laughs> Wait, are you accusing the the hoggets of overextending themselves, <laughs> living a life of luxury that they they had not quite uh, earned, moving up in uh, lifestyle a bit? I'm just saying. Look, there's a lot of people around them as they're coming home, and they are very generous people. And you never know; they could say, "Let's take you out for pie" or something like that. And you know, 
before they know it, you know, the whole town's fed and they've got no money left. I'm just assuming. The film doesn't fill in these blanks, but, you know, of course they have to go off to go and get money in this city. Uh, and I think what I find really interesting about this film is that George Miller, throughout his work, has consist- consistently kind of shown a really negative and dark uh, portrayal of, of humanity in, in various ways. Um, of course, the Mad Max films, uh, you know, talking post-apocalypse and everybody wants to be, uh, you know, try and conquer everybody else in those films and stuff like that. It's pretty obvious in those ones. Uh, in Happy Feet, it's even more depressing because these penguins uh, somehow go searching for a god and then they get ended, they end up getting trapped in this zoo and realise that God doesn't exist and then somehow manage to get back home where they're much safer because there's no people there, which is, again, really devastating. And then the people in this film are continually devastating people unless they're strange or bizarre people in themselves. So, of course, we've got uh, Mrs. Hoggett, who played wonderfully by Magda Zabansky. Um, she's great in this film. Uh, in certain regards, but she is very much, you know, very different from everybody else that lives in the city. And the people that they find refuge with is um, Mickey Rooney, who has nothing to say, but it's kind of heartbreaking in his short role here. And there's also this this really kind of creepy, tall, skinny lady as well, who just looks like she's from some very strange part of the world really, uh, you know, head's a bit strange and all this kind of stuff, she's an offshoot from society, and so they're the people that have a heart, they're different they're, they're nicer people than all the other good looking people who are out having a good time and stuff like that and I find that really interesting that you know, Miller takes this stance on society, did you find that at all? Did you find that it's really uh, you know, not so positive to people? Well, yeah, I mean, certainly I mean, you, obviously you have uh, James Cromwell's performance, you know, it's not like even with his his injury, he doesn't he doesn't turn on Babe. You know, he still reached you know it's, he still has an understanding of his goodness, even though you know his intentions were good, even though he really has no business trying to help fix a well. I don't know what got into that pig's head that he had he had the skill set or the physical tools to do such a thing. Um, so yeah, in a certain respect, I mean the the city here. You, you brought up that good point earlier about the the poster, uh, the the way that it was marketed as far as this adventure into this magical land where we're going to meet all these you know bright pink colors coming out of the city, and um, it does seem to at least that lifestyle that the animals have and the relationships they have with their humans uh, seems to be just shut in and shut off from everyone else. To be very untrusting, to be very guarded, to to keep what you have. Uh, and maybe like what you were saying earlier, don't give it to others because you may be feeding other people all your pie and then suddenly you're destitute and you're getting a full body cavity search because <laughs> of your damn if pig. Only the hobbits had learned. Because, only... <laughs> I mean, you know, the, the, the chimps that we see here, you know, clearly they've, they've learned you know, from their, their master that there's something that, you know, to take care of yourself first. Don't, don't worry about society at large. And so it's created this very dark place this very selfish uh place where they you know at one point the they use babe as a distraction with these guard dogs that is not even really a necessary distraction you know they say it's a distraction but really they're just fine with him being killed (laughs) massacred in some way and it's like you know this will make things maybe slightly easier maybe those dogs won't bark while we're stealing things 
But that's not a necessary risk to send the pig to slaughter. It's like, well, we don't want that barking going on at us while we're stealing candy. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's just, yeah, the city here, just in general, from, from humanity and the, I mean, the humanity, I guess, of the animals as well, is just incredibly negative for the most part. I, I do find it interesting, though, that there's kind of a devolution of these these apes uh, in some regards. So, of course, they're all dressed up in this, you know, the they're made out to be kind of like this pseudo-Italian family and there's some really great lines and dialogue and stuff like that where essentially uh, the, the guy with the crew cut uh, top haircut kind of is like, you know, his problems are not ours. We do not have to worry about them at all. And I love the line that he says to his partner, which is kind of like, you know, just rack off. Don't, you know, don't even talk to him. He's nothing. Open up, please. Open this door! You got a problem, sweetie? Um... Who is it, honey? It's, uh, kind of a baldy, pinky, whitey thingy. Show him in. Oh, I'd like the bag back, please. Hey, pinkness, look at the little guy. You want to break his heart? But but it doesn't belong to him. All I know is what I see. Tug comes in with the bag, just doing his job, collecting stuff, and you barge in here, accusing and making demandments. I didn't see you with the bag. Who's to say it belongs to you? I'm not leaving without the bag. I don't think my big brother, Bob Babaloopa the Big Banana, has been explaining how things work around here. Well... I have to warn you, I may be small, but I can be ferocious if provoked. And what have we here? Well, um, we're in a negotiation with this naked pink individual. He's a foreign extraction, Your Honor. Possibly even an alien. You drooling imbeciles. This is an omnivorous mammal of the order Unglata. An inconsequential species with no other purpose than to be eaten by humans. This lowly, handless, deeply unattractive mudlover is a pig. Oh, for your information, I'm a sheep pig, and I've been sent to save the farm, and, and come to think of it, I should be saving the farm right now, and, 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 and if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. So, will this little pink lunchness fulfill his destiny, nourishmentally speaking? We shall see. I feel very uncomfortable with this conversation. And yet, as they progress, they eventually lose their clothes, and then they kind of realize that, hey, if we stop acting like people uh, and start caring about others, we'll be a lot nicer and things will work out better for us. Um, And then there's that older uh, orangutan guy who, you know, it's kind of, it's a really heartbreaking scene where they somehow, I don't know if it's an animal shelter facility or a, you know, animal testing facility. We're not too clear about it, but it looks like uh, both, possibly, um, where all the animals end up after being uh, dragged out in this horrendous scene uh, from their, from their home. Um, And, you know, they're, all the animals are waiting to get out. And this poor old guy is like, I'm just going to put on my clothes. And the look on his face is just devastating to get this look from an orangutan who's just putting on clothes and you can tell that he's really sad that all right i've got to go again i'm too old for this shit i can't deal with it anymore he's just i don't know that's really heartbreaking and 
and to get these performances and I know that a lot of it's animatronic and CGI face and stuff like that but it's still it's still impressive that they managed to get all of this out of very different animals that really should be tearing each other to bits it should be a massacre in there but uh, fortunately enough (laughs) (laughs) yes please there's enough (laughs) darkness in this film we don't need this animal fight club (laughs) setting I'm just saying, you know, there's there's apes, there's cats, there's pigs, there's dogs. Uh, the fact that they all get along together is um, either really, really creative uh, cinematography or just, you know, great performances. And I know that, you know, le- reading some of the uh, production materials, they would shoot for, you know, maybe a whole entire day and only get six or seven seconds of footage, which sounds like stop-motion animation, really, but... You know, as they say, don't work with kids or animals, and unfortunately, this whole entire cast is there. So, it's impressive that everybody manages to actually turn this into a really great film. Um, but yeah, what did you think of the performances, uh, specifically the 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 apes, the chimpanzees, and the orangutan as well? I think it's. I mean, yeah, I'm, I, I'm probably going to be offending uh, all the chimp actors out there in the community. The, the, I'm sure that's the popular demo that listens to the last new wave is the chimp community somebody's gonna listen to this show you know yeah uh i mean i i think i had some issue uh not with the performances some of the uh voice work and it's more just the uh i i don't know how much of that is just george miller's sensibilities but uh some of the the choices they have are a bit on the nose as far as the the type of characterization they want to get across uh, like I never, I never really have an issue with with Stephen Wright um, as a comedian or voice performer, but he he has that s- such an iconic voice that having him, I'm like, oh, this is shorthand for this guy's kind of a prick, you know, like just <laughs> you know that when I hear that voice, I'm like, oh, he's not he's not going to be this well of human emotion spring out of him. When Stephen Wright's doing the voice, he's going to be kind of glib and sarcastic. Uh, and I did. I really, really did not like the dog that comes to Babe's aid, like his protector. I did not like this, like Godfather gangster oh, the bull type voice. Yeah. yeah, I did not. That was the one I was like. I, but then again, I'm thinking like, well, this is a G-rated movie aimed at you know, presumably aimed at six to eight year olds over the holiday season. So some of that you do need some shorthand as far as like whether they know it or not. There's a subconscious level of like I get kind of there's a joke here about why the dog talks that way. Uh, well, but I, the performances. Oh, go ahead. Uh, no, so what I was going to say is, you know, I think that in certainly in films, at least that is a huge shorthand, even though the kids have never seen The Godfather. You know, in Zootopia, there's characters who. Mm-hmm. Very much a march to the Godfather, and then there's Shark Tale, where Martin Scorsese, you know, poor guy, does voice work as a character that's like from the God Tale, the Godfather, and stuff like that. So it's, uh, I find it very interesting that all these filmmakers have huge, huge expectations that kids know exactly what the Godfather is, um, you know, even though they're six or seven years old. Uh, it's fascinating, uh, but continue on. There, there. There are probably certain films on that on that thought that I have still not seen because I feel like I've seen them because they're so so much a part of our pop culture lexicon that I'm just like oh yeah I kind of yeah I think I know like Casablanca oh yeah like I know the ending I know the famous bits they're like there are movies that I just avoided for years and years just because I'm like yeah I kind of get the idea of what that is uh, which is unfortunate but yeah you do you realize that even as a child you've just been 
this has been kind of forced upon you to understand what that is in reference to, even if you've never seen something. Uh, but the performances, as far as the actual animal work uh, here, uh, maybe the duck is the only one I disliked. Anytime we cut to the duck, <laughs> just uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, and I, I like you, I didn't go back and watch the original, which I'm now kind of more keen to do because I, I really want to see the stark contrast. Uh, I, I'm sure he was more fitting in that world, but man, his, his, uh, comedic stylings here, especially like just his travels to get the city are just so shockingly opposite in tone to what's going on the rest of the film that like the attempts to lighten the mood with the duck actually just made me angry just cause I'm like, don't try to fool me. Like, you know, I, I know that there's bad business going on in the city with babe. And just because we cut away to this duck and his, you know, minor annoyances trying to catch up to the city. Uh, that was probably the only one uh, that kind of stuck out. But there's an awesome, that chase sequence with the dog in particular, with all the different various animals sort of looking down or doing their own thing, uh, spectating, uh, is just great. Now, uh, like, when you actually get them all together for once, uh, it is a cool sight. It is, and I mean, it's a refreshing breather just to see them actually interacting as yeah. a community as opposed to being shut in their own rooms. So, no, it's, it's, it's technically, it's overall, it's a very effective film. Well, I think that's the thing is that, you know, with Ferdinand, he's, you know, was a pretty major character in the original film. So, of course, uh, they, they kind of felt the need to put him in uh, this story, you know, I guess is kind of a shorthand for kids to be like, hey, you know, remember this guy? You enjoyed him, didn't you? Um, and feel, you know, that, that he's uh, part of the, the world and, and makes it a little bit easier. But th- those scenes are really technically impressive, of, especially for 1998 to have all those kinds of pelicans, those really, you know, real-looking pelicans. It kind of looks like they have all those pelicans actually flying in the sky, and that poor duck, it kind of looks like he's actually flying in the sky. So technically that's really impressive. But, yeah, I do agree that it feels... You know, in like a chase scene, chase films or action films and stuff like that, where they have that breather moment in between uh, action moments and stuff like that, it feels like it's such a letdown of a, a, a transition between scenes to be like, oh, quickly, let's go and see what the duck's doing. And you're like, really, do we have to? I know that this is really depressing and, and hard to watch, but, uh, you know, can we have maybe going back to Mrs. Hoggett instead and seeing her, her dilemmas? Um, which I think is hilarious, that particular scene where uh, she's just trying to find her pig and and then she's going and walking through what looks like a Universal Studios uh, lot, back lot possibly, and you know she manages to insult the, the police officers and then uh, these bikies and then this, you know, there's all these women bikinis walking around as well, which I'm like, okay, that's a really, like, really weird, really strange uh, perspective of America. And... You know, this is not a, a pleasing film ab- about the perspective of America at all. There's, there's of course, the scene where the duck lands in whatever city this is and he lands in a firing range and, of course, everybody's got a gun and tries to kill the poor duck, um, which I thought was just... Uh, I thought it was amusing, but, uh, you know, from an American perspective, I'm sure they'd be like, oh, yes, guns, I know we, we have guns uh, and we like them, but, uh, you know, it's not what we are as people. Um but yeah, I think that mm, technically- that's up in the air. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Based on last year's election, I don't know. Maybe that is who we are as people. Possibly. Who knows? <laughs> uh, but- uh, what I'm saying is uh, the uh, the insult, if there is one uh, being tossed out by Babe Pickin' City, I think I can deal with that. Given our, our state of affairs, that's a light touch. 
Uh, so yeah, it's it's fine. It, I just don't find the duck funny. I don't I don't care about the jokes against Americans, but this duck Ferdinand kind of sucks. <laughs> well, in today's day and age, like he would get his own spinoff film, and we'd be focusing on Ferdinand the the talking duck and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but fortunately enough, you know, this film is almost twenty years old, so uh, we don't have that. But yeah. and it tanked. I mean, it was a oh, it was a, a major yeah. bomb. <laughs> <laughs> no more of this this business which uh it is a bit surprising just because i would have assumed at this point there would be some sort of reboot where they're like you know let's go back to the farm we'll get back to the basics of what babe is yeah. well that's what this podcast is for to try and get people uh interested in these old films and and reboot them and they'll be able to point listeners all those orangutan listeners to the last new wave to say <laughs> don't forget we talked about you on this show <laughs> We got you guys work. We <laughs> the next Babe movie. That's it. Um, but yeah, that technical aspect of that dog chase scene is really impressive, and you know it's shot in this beautiful kind of small set. But it, I don't know. To like usually in in scenes like that, I I'm always a bit kind of concerned about the animal that's being chased because you, how do they ever know what's actually happening and stuff like that? But you can tell that this character of Babe, this. Uh, one of possibly 40-something pigs that, that played this poor little character, um, isn't actually that genuinely terrified. It seems like it's it's okay. Um, but we are generally terrified for it. And it's all because of the editing. It's all because of the way that uh, you know George Miller plays it out. And then it ends up with this really tragic moment where this poor dog is hanging by its neck. And you know that particular scene is just a devastating scene. And I sat there and I was a bit like, you know, it was... 10 o'clock at night and granted I'd had a beer or two, but I was, uh, I was a mess. I was just like, this, this is intense. This is a painful scene to watch. Um, it's physically hard to watch, yeah. uh, just because it's so, it's so deliberate. Like, I mean, it's been, uh, a somewhat, I guess, enthralling chase, kind of fun throughout the city, even though, as you said, babe is running for his life. Now the way it ends is also, I mean, before we even get to the dog, uh, sort of hanging there, uh, the narration comes back in where it's like, you know, it flashes through all the n- nice, good moments in his life, being born, being with his mom, being with the, his master. And Babe turns to accept, uh, I think the actual word they use is his annihilation. Yeah. And he, he just asks why before the dog, like, oh. punts him over the... <laughs> I'm like, uh, yet again, I was trying to imagine the parents over, like, Thanksgiving weekend back in 1998 being like, what the fuck? Like, there's gotta be a a Pixar Disney movie at this point we can see early on, but um, yeah, and but they they flip it. They you know immediately you then are totally uh, in fear for this dog, and not only that, he's going to have a slow agonizing yeah. death. I mean, he's going to drown hanging there, and you've got this entire animal community just watching and accepting this fate as if they they can play no part in it. Like yeah. you, you're you're demanding someone do something and. Of course, you know, Babe, the, the, the kindest, gentlest creature on Earth, you know, he has to jump in. And even that's a struggle. I mean, a pig should not be doing that. A pig should not be pushing a boat, a little raft in a, in a river. Did he not learn anything from what happened at the beginning of the film with trying to help out with this well? You know, it's, it's just fortunate that he manages to recognize it's a boat and manage to help out. But I think what kind of tips it over the edge, there's two, two, two shots that really make it really devastating is the the cut to the dog's head underneath the water and the air bubbles coming out of its nose. And you're just kind of like, wow, that's that alone is dark because 
you know, watching a film, you, you have this kind of understanding that, hey, all these things might just be animatronics and stuff like that, or it might be digitally recreated and everything. But when you cut to a dog's head underneath the water, it's kind of like, you know, when people complain about a dog's purpose and stuff like that, you're like, kind of like, oh, yeah, but did you guys watch Babe Pig in the City? I mean, that dog, that dog's head's right underneath the water and it's uh, breathing bubbles and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I can imagine they probably just shoved it in quickly and got it, got it to shot and then took it straight out again, I would hope. Um, so there's that shot. And then there's the shot of, you know, as you're saying, all those creatures standing there watching what's happening and they could do something to help out. They could help. Uh, but some of them just turn, turn away. They're like, no, nah, no big deal. You know, sure, you know, something devastating's happening there, but hey, we know that this guy is a bad dog. And as he says, when he gets out and he's kind of like, look, I'm really sorry for chasing you, but it's just in my nature, uh, which I found kind of, it's a perplexing line in some regards because it's kind of like, is it in your nature? Because the whole point is that I guess of this film is to show that you can rise above who you are well, I thought that was part of what the, the whole point of the first babe was, to be able to say, you know, yes, he's a pig, but he shows that he can be a dog as well. Um, whereas this dog essentially is like, you know, this is, that's me. Uh, and fortunately enough, we do get to see him become a better dog. Um, but it's still heartbreaking, still devastating. Well, I, on this, I blame Babe. Uh, for antagonizing these poor dogs because uh, you know he, he is tricked into going into their territory where there is there is the appropriate and legal uh, signage <laughs> warning of of dogs uh but he uh he can't just leave well enough alone he has to go to his sheepdog form and try to uh talk shit to them to get them to 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 heal to his words so in some respects i think you know he was asking to be chased uh he he did he did trespass and uh a bit unwittingly but he did not unwittingly uh talk junk to them i mean he turns back to do his rah 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 or whatever it is uh cry and that ends up ends up being a mistake uh obviously but you know it all it all works out uh you know, I look at the the animals turning around, not just as mere judgment of this this dog, but um, I looked at it as far as they've they've become so cynical that it's like, well, this is this is life. This is this is a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm not an active participant in this world. I'm just here uh, for things to be done to me by higher powers. In this case, humans. Like I've just sort of accepted that that I'm that function in society. So his function was to be a guard dog that uh, was very threatening and aggressive. And so now that function is ended, like, and they'll get another dog. To, that That's probably the saddest moment for me is just the fact that they feel like they can't have any sort of active participation in their own fates at all. They're just, just whatever comes their way. Well, there's, there's that Doberman friend uh, of his who we don't see again after that chase. And, the last shot that we see of him, he's got an injured paw standing on top of the rubble and watching this guy disappear with uh, this pig and kind of like saying, you know, I'll stay back here and, and this is my domain. I can't go any further than this. And yeah, it's kind of sad as well. Um, the next sad thing, which I want to get onto as well, is that, you know... Kind oh, of- great. Yeah, <laughs> let's keep going. The next sad thing on the list. Well, there's there's two major sad things that occur to dogs and, you know, we're both dog lovers and stuff like that. Um but Fleelick, uh, who that who's that little Jack Russell with the the broken wheels, uh, broken legs, and the wheels and stuff like that, um, is such an entertaining little character. He's got a lot of personality. But in that scene where you know it kind of plays like a Lady in the Tramp or 
you know, a whole bunch of different uh, dog films where they get hit by cars and stuff like that. All dogs go to heaven and things like that. Um, where essentially this poor little dog ends up tumbling and, you know, there's that scene which is both really sad and it's kind of uh, uplifting in regards to the fact that we get this glimpse of him in doggy heaven and he's running around and chasing butterflies and things like that, which is really beautiful kind of shot, uh, especially given that, you know, an associated shot is this slow zoom on that that uh, that bent wheel just slowly turning. Um, it's a really heartbreaking scene. Uh, so, yeah, how did you think about that? I mean, you, you obviously uh, were a bit sad about it before, but are you, are you still sad about it? Yeah, that that was uh, if I was not doing this for the for the podcast, or if I was doing this on like uh, a lesser show, like uh, First Time Watchers, that would be where I would have checked out and been like, you know what? I'll just read the Wikipedia entry yeah. and figure out what happens from there. Uh, the worst, you know, the worst part about that scene is, uh, as you said, you have that slow sort of tracking shot on the wheel uh, as it as it stops turning. Um, I had forgotten. I didn't. I was like, wait, do they they kill this fucking dog in this movie? I'm like. Yeah, because we already had the we had the the possibility of one dog death. We had uh, we didn't mention the uh, the goldfish oh, that yeah. is uh, you know needs water and Babe you know does save him. Like it is, it is a moment of reprieve that he's he <laughs> picks him up and spits him out the window. And and luckily Babe has great aim. I don't know where that was in the well sequence. I don't know where this 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 physicality this agility comes from. But uh, the the dog death, you know, I'm thinking great. They fucking kill the dog. And then we get this glimpse of him, you know, running again, free and happy. Mm-hmm. And then they even pull him back from that. So it, it's this real push and pull where at first I'm pissed at the film for killing him. Then I'm pissed because they bring him back. I'm like, oh, great. A life of agonizing pain for this dog as he attempts to do something heroic. You know, I felt like at this point it's like, you know, what, maybe let him have his heaven. But, um, you know, thankfully, I guess, spoiler alert, it does all work out in the end for the for most of the, the animal characters here. I think it's even sadder, the fact that, you know, once he's he's back in, in real life, you know, the next shot that we see of him is walking in kind of resignation after the path of wherever this vehicle went. And it's just kind of, it's really heartbreaking. It's really sad. And it, it reinforces the fact that, you know, this film is about sticking together and and, you know, trying to make the best out of a terrible situation. And, you know, to do that, and make it work through all of these animals are really, uh, really, really powerful stuff. And, you know, I'm not, not trying to uh, make allusions at this about refugees or anything like that, but it's certainly, um, you know, if you wanted to be uh, intellectual or anything like that, you could certainly apply those kinds of uh, things to this film. Uh, and maybe George Miller was going for something in the sense that, you know, uh, people from, you know, broken homes or, or disparate situations need to join together and and no matter who they are what what race or creed things will get better and all this kind of stuff maybe that's what it was going for and you know i think one of the questions which i have is about kids films the ones that stick in my memory are the ones that are about something and try and not educate kids or teach kids or anything like that but they they try and at least leave them with a a lesson that doesn't feel like it's that Disney wrapped up lesson of, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what you look like, you're pretty on the inside, that kind of thing. Um, it, this feels like a lesson. <laughs> yeah, why, why would you want kids to, to think that? <laughs> Those uggos out there in the world, just <laughs> let them face the harsh reality of life. Well, that's <laughs> Make it. them watch Babe 2. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I guess, you know, this has kind of got a hidden hidden theme and a hidden message. It doesn't sit there at the end and go, kids, did you understand that? Um, so do you think this film succeeds in that regard? Um, no, I'd say I don't, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I say that because I don't know. I can't put myself back in the headspace of someone that would be that young. Uh, when this came out, I was 16. And I really dug it. But I'm, you know, I don't think a 16 year old was the the demo, right? As far as what they their intentions were. Now I can't, also don't know what Miller's intentions were, but um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if this is something that I know it's sort of gained a bit of like cult status. And uh, Siskel had it as his favorite film of of that year. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know if I've ever heard anyone that was maybe more in line with the the age group that this was intended for. If this has been some classic, something that stuck with them, I guess I'd like to think so. But I it, there's a lot of pain to get through there, and yeah. I, I don't know I don't know if they they or their parents would stick with it long enough to get to that point. Um, so I'm I'm unsure about that, Andrew. I I don't know. I, the intentions are good, but um. The heart's in its right place, but uh, whether it does it or not. Well, it's like it's like Babe in the Well, you know. You're, you end up just kind of getting some somebody uh, hurt. I I think back to the, the sequence with the the dog hanging there over the the very small bridge. You know, I think in most films like this, you could have that sequence after a, kind of a fun chase where it's like, okay, now the 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 villainous dog is going to befriend our our lovable pig. Uh, I think that he would just get stuck. And Babe would choose. He, he would not be threatened with death. You know, it would not be a call to save this dog's life. Um, I think he would just be stuck, and Babe would. There would be some sort of conversation back and forth, and then he would just, you know, unchain him and let him free. You know, what I mean, they would they would lessen those impact moments. They would not make it such a such a a struggle for these animals to survive. It would just be more of like, hey, let's be friends now. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's that's what this shocking still and I I certainly don't think there would be so many bad things that happened to Mrs. Hoggett I, I think because the film at times to me does feel a bit unnecessarily cruel it's like I can understand how this this uh, crazy pig gets into all these these kooky situations but then then we cut back to even you know the poor loving master and it's like now she's being accosted by bikers and now we're gonna have disgusting crap thrown all over her no now she's covered like a trash can like yeah yeah it's it's very cartoonish but it's also like it's also very mean-spirited at times i feel and then the ultimate humiliation where she bends down and her pants rip and it's kind of like oh yeah yeah i just yeah i mean some of that stuff i understand is you know you're playing to the room there but i you know i I feel like i i think i could have stomached all of this this stuff happening to bay because he's the hero so ultimately he will vanquish everything but when it's happening to mrs hoggett i'm just like Give her a victory. Let her punch somebody in the face or something. I don't, I don't know. Just just let her win at something and not just be the butt of the joke the uh, entire time. There, there is one shot that I like where she's just looking at a, uh, a photograph of James Cromwell so lovingly. And just like, it's, it's like James Cromwell's glamour shots. Like It's just like <laughs> the stoic pose. That's one moment of levity with, uh, with the human masters that I, I quite like. Uh, poor, poor James Cromwell. He is quite good here, but uh, you know, limited to a very small role. And you know, I like the fact that recently, when he was arrested for protesting something, uh, the news came out that his ringtone is him saying "That'll do, pig," um, which I think is kind of, <laughs> kind of sweet. That's like the like the the ultimate like 
uh, dude wearing like his own band's t-shirt yeah. like <laughs> type thing, which I would I would absolutely do. Yeah, I would have my own face and yeah, I should I should work I should have a clip for my podcast as my ringtone. That would be equally obnoxious, I think. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah, and make sure you uh, suggested the end of it as well. Don't forget to support me on Patreon and all that kind of stuff as well. It's, a, it's the vital thing that you do when you're, you're plugging your podcast. Um, so I think we've probably gone enough about this film. I think it's a really good film, and it's a really impressive film, and it's one that, you know, I I was looking at uh, kind of the kids' films that have been from the 90s that are kind of having a revival because, you know, we all go through kinds of that nostalgia period and stuff like that. You know, a few years ago, everybody was like, oh, The Goonies is really good. And I don't think anybody actually rewatched The Goonies, but um, nonetheless, you know, they all still thought it was good. Um, and now everybody's going on about Sandlot Kids, or I think you guys call it in America the Sandlot with uh, the baseball kids and the dog and stuff like that. Uh, so that's five years before Babe Pig in the City. So we've got to wait five more years to see what the uh, the youth of uh, the 90s feel about Babe Pig in the City. But I'm hopeful that they are nostalgic about it and and maybe they'll there'll be a whole bunch of uh you know thought pieces online comparing it to um uh the sequel to the wizard of oz return to oz being you know is this really the darkest kids film and stuff like that i'm not sure um but is this a film that you would recommend people seek out if they hadn't seen either film yeah i mean i you could certainly watch this uh without seeing the the first one uh i mean maybe <laughs> it may work better because it's like its own thing uh tonally uh i i yet again i you know I, you make fun of me because i came on before and was the only no and i'm a bit hesitant to say this is a i stamped this totally for every person uh to see i think you'd have to be in a particular mood I, you know I, honestly i think it appeals more to cinephiles you know talking about this idea that there may be a nostalgic look back um I, you know, the think piece I want would be comparing this to what is perceived to be like adult uh, children's films, like something like Inside Out, which I just you know, I'm on record as just not really getting. Like I, I think it's fine. It's you know it's the kids an, have feelings. Yeah, I thought I yeah this 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 breakthrough uh, idea that uh, that people have emotions on screen, which is every every fucking movie ever made. <laughs> like I don't understand why Pixar got such a claim for that one, but. Yo, you know what? I, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. If you watch Pixar films as a as a grown ass adult and you love them, throw on Babe Pig in the City and uh, let's let's blow your hair back a little bit. Let's let's see something truly adult that was a, a G rated film. So yes, it, this does get my stamp of approval yeah. for those people in particular. If you thought the first five minutes of Up was sad, well, <laughs> you haven't seen shit. Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's 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 go for ninety minutes of that. So. Yeah. Um, do you have a film that you would recommend that's similar to this? Uh, or I mean, this is a pretty unique film. Like, I was trying to think of the answer to this question myself, and I really can't think of anything that's very similar in regards to what Babe Pig in the City is like. Um, so I'm curious. Uh, I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna go with Dark City. Yeah. I'm gonna go with something decidedly dull. I'm gonna go with something like. Yeah, I like I like the uh, you know the set design in both films. I like the fact that you you purposely feel like you're on a set. That's actually kind of like part of the narrative I think of both films. That's like this is we're, we're coming to this strange place and it is meant to be purposely off from what I mean. The 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 fact that the city itself is this, in Babe is this combination of all these various like places. Um, yeah, so I, I thought of uh, Dark City, and that's another that's another one of your countrymen, right? That's that's. Mm-hmm. That's 
I mean, he's he's a real pleasant person on online. He oh, seems he seems of everything. He seems to well, he seems to you know it does fit because uh, I you know I follow him on Facebook and he, he he his big thing right now is sort of going back and comparing to like what the films that were made I guess around that time period when he was achieving great success. Uh, so he might be someone that would be really down for, uh, you know, Babe 2 rising back up and having all these think pieces. Uh, I don't know. He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be generally happy right now with the state of films, but Dark City is very good. I would, I would say Dark City. Um, somehow it's lighter though, the Babe, Babe 2. It's, it's, it's somehow a little more pleasant. Uh, uh I don't know. Less it's bad still, things happen. It's still pretty dark. I mean, Dave and I discussed it on a previous episode and it's, um, it's a pretty depressing film in the sense that these people are dragged to this place out in the middle of nowhere and their existence is just because they've got to try and keep this alien race alive and then the alien race gets killed and these people are, have literally got nowhere to go. Like, without the aliens, um, they can't have a life. Uh, so it's pretty sad and dark. Um, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a good film, though. If you haven't seen it, I've just spoiled it, but... Um, I do recommend. Jesus, watching. Andrew. Now, now I gotta go to something else. Like, let me, you know, you want me to put another animal movie in there? I don't, I don't know. Uh, Fluke, guy comes back as a dog. How about that? Uh, tries to tries to get back with his wife in like golden retriever form. I think I've got that one right. I'm not seeing it since I was a kid, but I remember it being kind of creepy. I'm thinking of the film with Tim Allen, Shaggy Dog, uh, possibly. No. no. Is that your recommendation? No, no, gosh, no. No, but I'm just saying uh, it sounds like there's been more than one uh, film about uh, dogs turning into humans or humans turning into dogs. I'd like to see a dog turning into a human. Uh, It is, uh, yeah, Matthew Modine is, uh, I think, the dog. Um, After a man dies in a car crash, he is reincarnated as a dog and attempts to reconnect with his family. Maybe that's borderline. It's kind of twisted, a little twisted family film. Uh, It's PG, which I'm sure that... I'm sure Babe 2 would still be hard R in comparison to it. But yeah, all right, Fluke. We can't use Dark City because Andrew spoiled it, so there's the IMDb summary of Fluke. Watch that one. There we go. Great. Um, did you want to plug your shows again, or are you happy with what we said before? Um, you Feel free to actually plug your shows. What a, what a cruel thing. Basically, I'm trying to wrap it up quickly, and, and here I am saying, you know, uh, do you want to plug it? Plug your shows. Do it. I'll edit the one. I was going to say, you're... <laughs> Your your intro to to plugging my shows will be longer than the plug. Uh, yeah, I've, I've already explained what they were. So if you want to follow us on various social media accounts, it is at Projecting Film and at Grand Gesture Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just tell me, there is no reward, is there? Was there ever such a thing? Oh, little pink thingy, this is the city. As Bob always says, what do you say, Bob? It's all illusory. It's ill and it's for losers. Nah, that wasn't it. You know, that stuff about no yesterday and no tomorrow. All you got is this actual nowness. The past is gone and it's for the future. Yeah, no guarantees, my little pork pie. It's a dog-eat-dog world and there's not enough dog to go around. So you look after number... what's he? Get my drift? I'm not a pork pie. Whatever you say, cute pie. I'm not any kind of pie. I'm just a pig on a mission. So that's our episode of Bay Pig in the City, directed by George Miller. Want to quickly apologise for my side of the audio. Microphone wasn't working properly at the time of doing the discussion, so it sounds a little bit distorted there. 
Thanks again to Mike for being on the episode. Head over to followingfilms.com to listen to the episodes of his many, many shows on there. You can also listen to other episodes of The Last New Wave on that website too. Follow us on social media, AB Film Review, on both Facebook and on Twitter. And head over to our website, abfilmreview.com, to listen to other episodes of both AB Film Review and The Last New Wave, and to also read written reviews by myself and other people on the website there as well. If you want to go the extra step and uh, support the show, then head over to patreon.com forward slash abfilmreview. Throw us a dollar, just helps keep the show running. I don't really have much more to say other than I'm going to let this music play out because it's a beautiful theme song. Uh, Keep on watching Australian cinema. I'll see you in the next episode of The Last New Wave.